So, hello everyone and welcome to this first episode of the Connectivity Podcast. My name is Matthias Fridström and I've spent my entire 25-year career inside the connectivity community. I started on the C-Cable side and have gone through almost all areas of our business throughout the years. I'm currently the chief evangelist at Telia Carrier and for those of you who doesn't know us, we're one of the largest internet backbones of the world. Which of course is great for someone like me with an almost unhealthy passion for networks. So, why the Connectivity Podcast? Uh, well, there's so much happening in the area of cloud and networking right now, and there are so many great experts out there. So we figured out, you know, what better way to learn more about these things than to actually speaking to these experts. And that's the reason to this podcast. In the Connectivity Podcast, we will be discussing things such as internet, cloud, networks, connectivity with various experts. Each episode will have a special invited guest where we can deep dive into the many key subjects where we all want to learn more. You know, new upcoming trends that's going to come, old habits that needs to go, or just a good old discussion about what needs to change. I'm therefore super happy to have Mark Thiele as the guest in this very first episode. So welcome, Mark. Mark, you're the CEO and co-founder of Edgevana, uh, a rather new company which is describing itself as the world's first IT marketplace for data centers. What do you mean by that? Yeah, it's a great question. Uh, and by the way, thanks for having me on. I appreciate the invitation. Um, what we're really trying to do is we're trying to simplify the process for customers identifying uh, and selecting data centers, even potentially multiple data centers from different providers. Um, uh, under the pretext or a set of assumptions that um, the buyer has changed significantly over the last five or six years, um, where five or six years ago, the average buyer was maybe looking for one or two locations, a primary location to move things to, uh, and maybe another location for, um, for disaster recovery or something. And that was 80 or 90% of acquisition strategy for going to a co-location facility. Um, but, over the last five years, I've seen that dynamic change significantly, and I believe that the dynamic will continue to change because of things like um, uh, companies more and more wanting to be uh, digital and wanting to be global. Companies are, are more likely going forward to mirror something like an Uber than they are something like a traditional uh, manufacturing or, or technology company that happens to be in one place, and that's where their data centers are. Uh, and so they need to be global. They need to represent both their internal population and their external population in more of the places they are or more of the places where they do business or both. And then on top of that, uh, my basic assumption, uh, and, and you mentioned my blog earlier, my basic assumption is that um, edge computing uh, over the long term, meaning the next uh, you know, three to seven or 10 years, is going to consume considerably more data center capacity than even the public cloud has consumed so far. Uh, and if that uh, prognostication is anywhere near correct, then finding ways to better utilize the existing infrastructure seems like a fantastic way to lower the barrier to entry and to help expand that market as quickly as possible. All right. Oh, that sounds really, really interesting. And, and it's a rather new company, I believe. Yeah, we, we've been working on it for about a year now. But from a public notice standpoint, 
and we're still somewhat in stealth, which is why I didn't give you a, a more detailed answer. But mm-hmm. uh, we've really only announced ourselves uh, about uh, for about six weeks now. Yeah. I can also see that when I read your resume, it's fantastic, really. And I can see you worked it in, in a number of companies, but I actually could find Ericsson in there, you know, a Swedish company with That's their right. headquarters right across the street almost from here. So uh, yeah. <laughs> you have some yeah. Swedish yeah. Swedish heritages in there. What did you do there? Uh, at Ericsson, I worked on a couple of different things, but mostly edge related. Uh, I did some, uh, a combination of um, kind of uh, in- industry validation and um reporting or analysis relative to competition in the market, uh, uh, you know, why one company bought another, how that might affect Ericsson or Ericsson's customers, um, uh, looking at edge strategy, looking at uh, working with potential partners for how edge might be deployed, uh, et cetera, what kind of uh, um, revenue models might exist, things like that. Oh, that's really cool. That must have been very early stages of, of that. It was, uh, yeah. it was, uh, and it was fun. I mean, I, I, I can say, you know, there's two things I would always say about Ericsson. Um, one is that it's a very big company, mm-hmm. so sometimes it can be slower than you'd like. Yeah. But on the other side of the coin, uh, I don't think I've ever worked at an organization where with a higher percentage of really, really smart people. Just uh, uh, an amazing company for the talent that they have. Yeah. Oh, that's fantastic. Okay, so let's go into the first topic here today, the cloud itself. And I'm, I'm super curious on what you say about the cloud. And I actually read that three years ago, you said that only 17% of the total IT demand will be in the cloud by 2022. Uh, do you still believe that's true? I do, actually. I mean, if you look at um, where we are now, and it's really hard to find a perfect number, right? So I, I look at a number of things to come up with my estimates from uh, what the buying trends are from the enterprise to... Um, what the growth is uh, uh, in public cloud, uh, how much of uh, public cloud growth is net new applications versus um, the transfer of existing applications or, or refactoring of existing applications from the enterprise into a public cloud data center. So look at all those factors and more. And uh, when, you, when you put the ability to grow by the operators as, as one factor in, in deciding how fast they can grow, uh, combined with the ability of um, enterprises to actually affect moves and changes um, in, a, in any kind of rapid pace. And then the kind of the third leg of that stool is how is the market in general growing? So, you know, the, the pace of IT growth as an industry is generally around 5% a year. Um, some estimates are suggesting that it's actually a little bit faster than that now if you go into deeper into where edge is being purchased in manufacturing or where business transformation, what people call digital transformation is occurring. And that, so basically why is that important? Well, because if the um, industry doubles every seven years and you start out with the cloud company at year one with zero and Mm -hmm. you want to try to get to 10%, when you're at 10%, that 10%, my, if it took four years to get there, that 10% is actually more like 14 or 15% of the original demand because yeah. the market has grown. Yeah, you're right. right. So the while 17% doesn't sound like much, if we go back to the beginning of cloud, that 17% would actually be more like 35 or 40% yeah. of what the market was at the time. 
Oh, that's interesting. That's kind of an analogy with the IT internet backbone as well. You know, the traffic is growing so much. So every time someone compares numbers there, you know, you're always comparing a growing number. So that's, that's, that's interesting. Right. That's and I right. think, you know, um, one of the things I think about the most is, you know, do you believe companies are aware of how they can connect to the cloud? If we talk about connectivity here, sometimes I feel, you know, any CIO just believe the cloud is there and they have no idea how their traffic is flowing into the cloud. Uh, do, yeah. you, do you hear things around that as well or, or see that? Well, just to some degree. I mean, I think um, each market has a, a slightly different maturing rate, right? Mm -hmm. and, uh, and frankly, a different model for um, using or contracting access to, um, to worldwide networks. Mm -hmm. But I would say that, for instance, in the U.S., it's probably wide, fairly widespread uh, accepted that mm. one of the best ways to get access to the cloud is to use one of the, um, and I'm going to take one name mm. and use it for all of them, but yep. to get like a direct connect, right, yep. from an op from an operator like a colocation facility or something. Mm. But um, the the means for connecting to cloud really oftentimes are dependent on a combination of things: where are you connecting from, mm. and how much of your traffic is something that you would consider driven by um, true performance versus driven by um, cost and just the need to um, share the data in one form or another. Yeah. Uh, because it's super easy to obviously to set up a, a IP traffic and dump it somewhere. Yep. Um, but it's also um, uh, important if you want to be able to try and guarantee performance and potentially improve on security for that traffic. Uh, and this is a, you know where a company like yours might come into play is you know creating dedicated pathways where you can you can um, do anything from uh, manage for bursting to control cost more effectively to guarantee performance uh, and and uh, provide potentially a higher level of security as well. So yeah. I think I think people look at the connectivity requirements differently, but depending on the market, a lot of that has to do with maturity and again to some degree with how offerings are made available in each country. But by and large. Um, I think those two things, uh, the, yeah. the direct connect from an operator and um, your own configuration of uh, some equivalent of a direct connect are yeah. the way people are trying to consume network. Mm -hmm. yeah. oh, but I, I, that's a good that's a good side. I've, I've been to some some shows lately and I my feeling is, you know, when you talk to a CIO of a company, he's extremely good at, at the applications and server sizes and Kubernetes and all that stuff, but he's not really aware of how do we actually connect to the cloud. And I, I also feel that there's a lot of if we think about co-location companies out there, you know, who are practically telling everyone that we have the cloud inside our cola facility and that's the only way to get to the cloud. Uh, skip your service yeah. operator because come to us and we'll fix it for you. While I sometimes feel, right. you know, hmm, if you are a widespread enterprise, you know, maybe you should talk to your service provider and get them direct connect to the cloud instead, you know. Why go with your traffic to a cooler facility and then into the cloud instead? Uh, and I feel, you yeah, know, I would say that I would say that uh, generally speaking, that's a fair argument. Um, the uh, the ability to control it yourself and um, configure it yourself, um, I think, is the key characteristic for um, for some who are moving into colocation anyway, um, because that's their plan. Then getting a a, a, a more automation driven connection can make sense. Right. But if you're staying in your own on-premises data center or you have on-premises data centers that you plan to maintain uh, and you have some known level of traffic, then I would agree that being able to set up a, a direct connect and or an IP connection, uh, potentially both, 
um, uh, in the long run might be cheaper because you don't get, uh, um, you get, you know, one cost, you don't get yeah. burdened by changes no. or uh, when you use more bandwidth or whatever, it's just it's the same cost every month. And, and I would argue that, uh, most CFOs, um, would rather see a slightly higher average cost. That's the same every month than a cost that changes from 10,000 one month to 18,000 the next month to, to, to 15,000 a month after that. Yeah. Oh, that's good. Uh, I need to check one thing with you. I heard the other day that a lot of enterprises are talking about, you know, we want to move everything we have into the cloud, but at the same time, we don't really trust the cloud. So maybe we want to have the servers in our backyard as well, copying everything we have in the cloud. So we have a fantastic backup ourselves if the cloud fails. Uh, What do you say about that? Is that a common thing? It it is a common thing. And it's, it's ironic that, um, if you talk to a cloud operator, um, uh, the one of the first things they'll tell you is they're trying to find more ways to convince the customer to put their large data sets in the public cloud. Yep. And ostensibly, they want that to happen because they are in a better position to, to guarantee performance for the customer if the data is right next to uh, the compute. Right? Yep. So that's a, that's a logical explanation. Yep. But um, it's also true that um, uh, a mortician who overly aggressively tries to sell you on the best um, uh, uh, style of coffin is likely hoping you're going to die sooner so he can actually sell it. <laughs> and so when a, when a cloud operator tells you that it's better to put your data next to their, um, next to their compute, uh, they're not lying to you, but their, their, their hidden agenda uh, most of the time is the knowledge that once your data is with them, it's likely with them forever. And that's really where their big value comes from. And so from a consumer standpoint, um, there are positives and negatives with any strategy for where data goes. And I think that the the choice should be more about how you plan to own your applications and what purpose those applications serve to make determinations about where your data should remain so that you can guarantee everything from security to compliance to performance per application to number of copies or uh, replication strategy, et cetera, et cetera. So I think um, I think the the beauty of modern IT is that we're getting closer and closer every day to to best fit use yep. of IT as opposed to no, it's all this. Use it this way all the time. Yeah. No. Oh, that's a good. Yeah. Thinking about the cloud, do you feel, you know, is everything perfect for the cloud? You know, um, one of the areas I'm thinking about is the security side, you know. Uh, And I know there's a lot of security companies there who offer cloud services. And I also believe there is another part of that game that says, you know, security should absolutely always be on-prem. You know, why put security in the cloud? It should be in the CP you have in your office and the firewalls and everything we've used to. How do you view that market, you know? Yeah, I I don't think that there's a simple answer for security, but I do believe that uh, in general, security that is um, based on the original idea of a perimeter, Hmm. right? Something like an eggshell um, is uh, is a bad idea. And the reason there, there, I mean, I could go into a lot of technical reasons, but the simple reason is, is think about an eggshell. And if you squeeze the eggshell from each end, it, it'll stand a, a tremendous amount of pressure, right? Yep, yep. Squeeze it in the middle and it shatters like an egg, yep. right? And so security is very much like that. Traditional perimeter security is great if people test it and use it exactly the way you want them to. Mm-hmm. But the minute they don't, 
it becomes a, a, a broken egg, right? Mm -hmm. And so the, some of the benefits associated with using cloud resources is that you're taking uh, some of the security day-to-day um, uh, -day management, operational management of keeping it updated, ensuring that, um, that wasted uh, information is in fact, or not wasted information, but information that um, uh, is maybe uh, a lot of false positives, et cetera, et cetera, are taken out of the equation so that your employees are chasing those things that are actually important. Mm. Right? I found out the hard way when I was building security for a company um, for the first time doing it uh, for the entire infrastructure as opposed to just some portion of security. Uh, I, I had an interesting comment from my own CIO at the time. And he, he told me, he goes, Mark, so what happens when you actually see all the red lights flashing that you weren't seeing yesterday? And I said, <laughs> well, what do you mean? Isn't that a good thing? Don't we, don't we want to know? And he goes, well, you don't get any more people than you have now. So how are you going to respond to all of them? Wow. <laughs> right. And it's just a, that's just a fact. Yeah. That's just, that's the reality of most IT organizations. So finding a way to, to eliminate as much of the noise as possible from, from keeping, um, you know, the equivalent of an operating system, keeping it patched up to the minute, making sure that you've got all of the appropriate um, uh, uh, notices and, um, and variants and um, uh, uh, warnings and, and all that, uh, always up to date is a potential opportunity associated with cloud along with security can be, in some cases, high overhead associated with specific functions. And so if you can put it in cloud and have it delivered uh, from cl locations closer to where people are consuming the work or application that needs the security, yep. then you can improve the performance of that application potentially. Yeah. No, I, I agree. That's super interesting. And I think, you know, cloud security really depends on if they can spread their clouds into many, many different locations, then of course, you know, the closer you are to the cloud, the, the, the less traffic you have to send there and onwards. So uh, right. I think you're right there. Right. That's, that's really good. Okay. I, I think another topic that I want to talk about is sort of the data centers themselves. And I, and I know you talked about the edge and we'll come to that, but I think, you know, one of the things that we talk a lot about here is, is the locations of the data centers. Uh, and you talked about the edge and, and versus the big data centers. How, how do you view that? How, how many more large data centers do we need or should should everything move to the edge as soon as possible? Uh, or do you think a combination yeah. or? Well, it's, it's, it's really hard to foresee. Uh, I mean, I'm, I would be happy to make some estimations, but I would be lying to you if I said I had high confidence um, as far as what the impact of edge growth will be from a direct impact to public cloud data centers, traditional hyperscale uh, campuses, in other words. Uh, it's really hard to say. I assume there will be an impact because I'm, uh, fairly confident that a percentage, a significant percentage of data that's created at the edge will eventually make it into public cloud. And that will be a net addition to what's already in public cloud and is mm -hmm. logical to stay there. Yep. Right. That being said, uh, the public cloud environment has plenty of room to triple uh, yep. in, in size over the next five to seven years. And that's pretty freaking impressive. Right. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I don't know. I don't know the exact number of servers today, whether it's, you know, 30 million or 50 million. Uh, I haven't tried to run the numbers since 2017, but um, uh, to think that they might be, you know, 100 million servers in the public cloud by 2025 or 2026 is an astronomical figure. Yep. Um, but that would still only put the public cloud 
at about 30% yeah. of, of total enterprise workloads that we know to exist today, yeah. not the net new workloads that'll be created to solve for problems at the edge. And so um, edge creation, uh, uh, and as you noted in, the, in the, my recent blog, edge creation, I believe, will quickly surpass the growth of public cloud from a trajectory standpoint. Mm-hmm. Uh, and over the next 10 years is likely to actually um, uh, cover more footprint uh, megawatts, mm-hmm. whatever you want to call it, than the total of public cloud does. So, you know, my estimation is that that, that crossing point between mm-hmm. the two is probably yeah. going to be somewhere around 2027, 2028, um, potentially earlier, but uh, I think it's pretty safe by then. And so that means that not only the number of data centers, but the, the type of data centers needed at the edge will far surpass what's available today, certainly. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I think we'll see everything from you know, uh, a, a secure box that's a throwaway amount of compute and capability at the bottom of a light pole, as example, to something that looks like an ATM inside mm-hmm. of a drugstore uh, mm-hmm. um, broom closet, mm-hmm. right? Um, to something that um, might have, uh, you know, 250 to uh, one, uh, 250 kilowatts to one megawatt that is uh, distributed, you know, in two or three places across a large town to more regional uh, data centers that are, that might accommodate uh, some of the backend workload for two or three towns uh, with higher latency um, uh, uh, capability uh, and larger scale that might be, you know, one to 10 or 15 megawatts. And so uh, I think this, the, the, the interesting opportunity here is that the growth uh, is across the spectrum Yep. And um, it really doesn't matter whether you build uh, a custom, uh, what they call a nuke box, like Intel builds, mm-hmm. or whether you build um, a, a big for you box that has a bunch of blades in it, mm-hmm. uh, or whether you hang Raspberry Pis on a light post, uh, or whether you build a data center that looks like a, a single cabinet or a half cabinet, but works like a little tiny data center or you build something that still looks very much like a traditional data center and can have dozens or hundreds of racks in it. I think everywhere across that spectrum, there is huge opportunity over the next seven to 10 years. And, and it's, uh, I just, I mean, if you, if you think back to, um, you know, the, the beginning of the internet from a consumer knowledge of the internet perspective, uh, and you think about what we thought in say 1995, and then you see what we're doing now. And even when you and I had a conversation uh, a month ago about network demand, in 2001, 2002, the world thought we'd buried more fiber than we would ever use. Yep. Right? And yeah. now, uh, you know, and, and we, were, we were debating the potential that now more fiber standpoint is used or laid in the ground every year today than the total amount of fiber that was in the ground in 2001. And that's an, an astronomical uh, consideration, right? And, and I, I, so I see that the potential expansion of infrastructure and demand um, from the very mobile edge all the way to the core data centers that might be considered public cloud data centers um, will continue to expand because we are still 
fortunately or unfortunately, just scratching the surface for how technology will permeate our lives. So thanks everyone for listening to this first episode of the Connectivity Podcast. And thanks, Mark, for being here. Uh, in the next episode, we will actually continue to talk to Mark about some other areas around connectivity in relationship to COVID-19 and other things. So stay tuned for the next episode. Follow us on Twitter for updates. The handle is ConnectivityPod.